thank you all for joining us. This is Nuance, as always. I'm Mike Scala, joined by Jay Carter, also known as Timid, the hip-hop artist and the chair of BLM Tokyo. Of course, we have a lot to discuss. We're going to talk about the bill in the New York State Legislature aimed at Chick-fil-A. There's breaking news out of Colorado. There is a reparations commission that was just signed into law in New York. So we got things to get into. But first, what's going on, Jack? Not not much, but uh, I was mulling over a post that you posted uh, a couple days ago. Where oh, you, okay, I was gonna maybe. Well, I know you're in Japan, so the time difference we're on a whole different day. But I was gonna mention the one from earlier today about people checking their phones. Is that the one you were on? That's that's what yeah. I'm talking about. Good. Okay, maybe it wasn't a couple days ago, but yeah, to me, it just uh, I felt like I saw it two days ago. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, where you posted that uh, I guess it was a, a study that showed that people check their phones 144 times a day. Right. That's well, Americans. I mean, I don't know other countries. Americans probably similar around the world, right? But that sounds like a lot, you know. And then when you break it down, I did the math on that. It's about once every six minutes, assuming that someone is sleeping for eight hours. But you know, it's about where it falls. Right. It's still a lot. I mean, obviously, we can see how that would happen because everyone just always checking their phones now every few minutes. Right. But when you add them all up, 144, that does seem like we have a bit of a problem, doesn't it? No, absolutely. Um, it's a big problem. And it's it was another one of the reasons it caught my eye is I just kind of had a, a similar conversation with with someone uh, a couple days before that. And she was talking about, you know, recently how she was having a lot of uh, blurry vision and, and, and eye strain and this and that. And I was like, I was like, you're on your do you realize how much time you use your phone? Like, yeah. even if we're watching a movie or TV, like you're using your phone at the same time to play video games sometimes while doing that. I'm like, and so we went in, I, I don't know on the Android, but on iPhone, you can go in and you can check your, uh, how many, how many hours a day that you use that phone each day. It keeps a record, a log and what you're using. And so I was like, I was like, pull up your thing, go pull it up. Let's go do it. And we pulled it up. And she had used her phone for over six hours that day alone. How far is it? That, huh? Was that at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day? Um, it was towards the end of the day, probably in the evening. And I was like, and th this was well, her average. Like waking six. hours, right? You have to figure that. It's not like six out of 24 because you are sleeping. For right. Right. And like, you think about that. That's yeah. a lot of time. And I'm like, you're focusing on this very small area doing eye intensive activity for six hours. Right. Right. Like, see, I was wondering if there was an app, and if not, maybe we could come up with one that will track how many times you access your phone, not just the yeah. I'm on the phone, right? But how many times you're opening it and closing it throughout the day. And then maybe you do an average over the course of the week or the month or whatever, right? Just to keep track of that. Because I do think that we're on our phones too much. And right. I put in that post that I try to check it about three to five times a day. Obviously it's gonna vary depending on the circumstance, but we may be moving towards a society that's less reliant on the phones. You know, I saw a meme so. not long ago. Well, at least in terms of using it as a phone, right? I think maybe people are using it more as like just a computer now. But yeah. I saw a meme 
not long ago, and actually a few people were posting it about um, this. They call it a little rectangle, right? They're forming a little, little rectangle on their pocket. But they were saying that they used to have ringtones. Everyone used to get a ringtone, and people right. pay for the ringtone, right? And now they, would, they said they would smash that little rectangle if it even made a sound. And so I don't think people are using it as a fine. People are starting to realize that it's not so healthy to be on the phone all the time. And, you know, right. people may use it as a computer, but is it really any different from using a tablet or a laptop? It's just a, a device at this point. Right. Yeah, it's just because it's so small and it's in your pocket and it's so convenient um, and there's, you know, you've got so many useful things on there. It's just people are, are using it to excess, mm -hmm. right? It's way too, too much. You know, like I said, 144 times or over six hours of a day looking at that screen like it's it's crazy yeah yeah i just wonder if that's just kind of the world we're in not even so much about phones but just the technology i mean it'll be people oh, yeah computers, or, you know, if they're working from home whatever it is we're just always on a screen whatever kind of screen it happens to be you know no, absolutely big one and so that's part of it as well but i I feel like we're starting to at least be cognizant of the fact that it's not healthy to be on the phone all the time, you know, and, and you could probably expand that and, and say, just <laughs> using technology all the time, right? People should maybe get out. Right. I don't know, but it seems like we're starting to learn that because it wasn't really a thing years ago. You know, like this meme is really onto something. People would pay for ringtones. People would be calling each other and you, you would have a different ringtone for everyone in your life or whatever. Now everyone kind of keeps their thing on silent. I think you know, people aren't even trying to look at it that much. But then again, yeah. 144 times. I don't know how that works. If they're looking at 144 times, how come it's always on silent? We don't want to hear hear from it anymore. I guess because people are just looking at themselves, so they don't need to be notified. <laughs> That's kind of sad. They don't, they don't even well, I think. Notification. But some of it is is social engineering, right? Mm -hmm. um, social media for one where you get that that dopamine hit every time someone likes a comment or um likes a post that you've done or replies so you got you got that addiction to to getting that engagement that feedback and so people are checking for messages oh i posted something did someone reply yet or or did someone like the comment to think it was really cool so there's that type of stuff then people of course checking email to see if they're getting some kind of a messages uh some kind of message um if they're playing a, a some sort of a game that is um you know social engineered to to give you little small bits of accomplishment which keeps you addicted like these things are social engineered into the game style to play and so it's just more and more things to keep people looking at your device and engaged in the app and each app is trying to keep you in their app as much as possible and then you've got like a hundred of those on your phone so See, yeah yeah I have not taken social media off my phone entirely. I, I did it at one point as a break, right? But now I have it on my phone, but I took it off of the home screen. So I'm not seeing it as much. And I'm not checking. I think I put in the comments there. I'm not checking the group chats anymore. Those are all mute. You know, I'm really taking steps to mitigate my usage because I think that it does distract from the work I'm trying to get done and you know, everyone's career is going to be different. Everyone's job is going to be different. So it, it may require different levels of usage and different types of usage. But for me, right. 
I'm trying to focus. If I'm working on a, a legal thing, like, you know, a motion, a paper, an argument, whatever I'm working on, I don't want the distractions of checking my phone 144 times. To me, that takes away from what I'm trying to concentrate on, what I'm trying to work on, you know? And when it comes to email, I've got that on my laptop. And, I'm, and even then, if I'm working on a legal argument, I'm not going back and forth to my email constantly. Now, every once in a while, you might take a break, and that's healthy to do that. But you don't want something to come up. That's the thing. Let's say you see something in your email that's going to distract you from what you're trying to get finished, right? Something about a different case or something else, right? And now that that's occupying your time, your you know, your mind at least. And so even if you're trying to work on that original thing, well, now the email you just read is in the back of your head. And so I try to keep that separation. Someone said that it sounds like I'm almost off the grid. And that's kind of a sad state of affairs when you can say to not check your phone 144 times, to check it three to five times, which by the way, three to five times a day is actually pretty often if you think about it. I mean, during a work day, that's once every couple of hours, basically, not even every two hours, right? That's pretty frequent. That's pretty often to be checking your messages. But the fact that we don't even consider that frequent in our society is a little scary. Right. Um, I mean, you think about it, but that checking also constitute doesn't necessarily mean that they're engaging for a long time. They could just be picking it up and opening it up to yeah. see if there's a message and then putting it down, you know, and, and I'm sure you've seen it being out with a group of people at dinner and, and just in the middle of the conversation, people will constantly be doing this to check it. So, I mean, it's just, it is where we're at right now. And part of that is going to be self-discipline. Uh, I know um, Apple introduced modes in their operating system for the iPhone called the, I think it was Focus or something like that, where you can actually set times where you can't access certain apps um, so that you can do what you're saying, like where you can focus on what you're doing. Um, and then people can use things, uh, product productivity types of techniques like the Pomodoro technique, where you shut off everything and you focus on what you're doing in 25 minute increments at a time. And don't look at phones, don't look at email, don't whatever your task is, you do that and you do that in cycles until you take breaks, which actually increases your productivity. So it's going to come down to people using more self-control and, and things like that, because App makers are going to keep trying to keep you on the phone as long as possible. Right, right. And I also put on there something that might have sounded a little funny. I said that the kind of work that I do doesn't really require immediate attention, mm. meaning from a client, right? It, it requires my immediate attention. Right. <laughs> but I don't need, you know, if so it's not like I, I don't do criminal law. So no one's calling me up saying I got to bail them out or something. Something where I got to right, drop right. them and run to the courthouse or something like that. That's not what it is. It basically goes month to month, right? You go in for a court date and then your next court date is probably going to be a, a month from now. And then you know what needs to be done from now until then. And so there's never really a situation where a client needs to call me where I need to just drop everything or it's going to affect what I'm working on. I mean, whatever I'm doing can wait at least that hour or two, you know? Right. Right. So and I think most jobs are probably like that, right? Even outside of lawyers, I don't think most people need to be on their phones as much. It depends on what, yeah, it depends on what your job, like you said, most yeah. jobs, like if you if you're doing something in media or communications, um, social media, digital marketing or marketing, then I can see more of a case for that. But in other jobs where that's not, you know, if you're a content creator, yeah, you probably need to be on your 
on social media or on your phone. But other than that, there you know, we could definitely scale back even, our usage. Even a content creator, though, I mean, you still have to create the content, right? Doesn't that take time and focus? And sure. Is, with the phone, the phone gives you a lot of distractions, and so they, it takes you out of what you're trying to achieve and it just sets you on a whole different path right like if you're if you allow yourself to be distracted by that phone call or that text or that email or that right. social media ping right <laughs> whatever it is the comment then you are now taking your day in a different direction and so if you were trying to do some content creation well you're no longer doing the content creation now you're right. going down the detour right <laughs> that your phone took you well i was th- i was thinking more in line if you're using your phone to do the content yeah, yeah, creation yeah, yeah. Right. And that's the thing, too. Some people actually just work on their phones. That's what I was saying earlier. It's basically right. just a computer, right? They're just using it as we Yeah. Work. Oh, yeah. A lot of people. So that's yeah. part of it as well, right? But I do yeah. think, I, pre- I do think, because, you know, we, we are aware, we're having these conversations. People, I think, and we're not the only ones. People are starting to talk about this, the effect it, it takes on, you know, on our mental health. And Absolutely. you talk about cyberbullying and suicide rates, all these different things, right, as a result of social media. And so I think that we are starting to move away towards the the over reliance, or, or you know, you know, I, I think I think we're at least starting to realize that there is an addictive quality to it, and we should be trying to mitigate right. it. Whereas when it was all very novel, I don't think anyone really cared. We just kind of threw ourselves into it, you know, right. because it was this great new technology that everyone's just embracing without even being mindful of the negative consequences. Right. Yeah. Found it pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, you know. yeah, and I would love to. I, I've said this before. I would love to have a day where people didn't get on their smartphones at all, or you take them. But the problem is, you can't announce that because that just puts <laughs> in people's heads that no one has their phones, and and uh, people can take advantage of that. Well, there are. I mean, there are. Um, people there are. have done these types of things. There's like um, unplugged days. Um, the national day of unplugging um yeah if we were to tell people that though if we were to tell people no one take your phone today that could be a dangerous situation right people could get mugged or people people would think oh they can't even call the cops on me now but they can't they can't, <laughs> they can't take the camera out you know what i mean and, and stop me i feel like it's i don't know if it would be safe to have an, an entire neighborhood of people everywhere no one has their phone on a given day you mean you mean going back to life before back the year two thousand? Right, right. <laughs> There's a different world, but that's also an interesting point. And I thought of that myself. But people are all freaking out. Even when I put up a post saying I don't check my phone that many times, they're saying, "Well, how can you survive like that?" And I just think, "Well, yeah. it wasn't that long ago when we didn't even have this kind of technology?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. This this current revolution of, of addiction started with the with the iPhone, and that was probably somewhere around two thousand six, seven, eight, or something sometime. I think. Yeah. Well, they did the BlackBerry, right? Yeah, but like, yeah, the two way sidekick. <laughs> yeah, but I think this big thing that we're looking at now, where we're at now, was was when the iPhone released, and that was two thousand seven. Because that's when the apps popped up in the app store and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, all of that stuff. So, all right. Well, crazy stuff. Let's yeah. get into it. And speaking of new technologies, we had a poll last week that was centered around AI, right? We did. So the poll last week, 
um, was uh, asking if should political campaigns be required to label multimedia content generated by AI as such? Because we know that there's definitely uh, a danger in in using AI to be able to misinform um, or mislead people. Uh, at the same time, it's very powerful and can be uh, an asset in in campaigns or any sort of work uh, and so we asked if people should uh if these things should be labeled or or not uh, especially in something sensitive like political campaigns and and voting and such right now for some reason the poll app again messed up and wouldn't didn't yeah. show the actual poll but we did get comments now that's been a couple of weeks running right we gotta figure out why that's not working it did that two times, two times, and then I sent a message to to their help desk, and then the next week or two it worked, and then I posted this again, and this time it didn't work again. So I don't know what's going on. It's yeah. something on their site apparently. Um, but the comments we got a number of comments here, um, and someone was very emphatic, uh, all caps, <laughs> in bold and underlined with exclamation marks. Yes, without a doubt, the potential for abuse in elections is huge. Um, someone else said, watermark all of it. Um, someone else said, if it were up to me, the use of AI in deceptive campaign ads would be disqualifying. Now, that's an interesting point. We actually touched upon that last week, and I think we struggled with this idea of, okay, so if it's deceptive, who determines? Right. Where is it determined? Right. Receptive is what's the line by. Yeah. Does it have to go to court? Does it have to be a lawsuit? Is there a board that's put together for that purpose? Right. You know, right. And that word deceptive gets tricky, right? Because there, it, it's a loaded word and right. different interpretations of it. Right. And then there's also constitutional issues when it comes to, unfortunately, lying, right? Lying is protected by the First Amendment. And so, right. It doesn't mean that it's you know always. Let's let's just be clear, right? There there are times when it, it's not, so it's not per se protected. But to have a, a blanket rule that you could never be deceptive would not be constitutional. <laughs> so you'd have to fit it within the the proper parameters, right? You know, like we talked about, fraud is a type of deception that's not protected, that's not lawful. But right, simply lying about someone. There's, there's no, right. there's, there's no, you know, unfortunately, you can do that unless it crosses the line into defamation, which this, you know, may often do, but that right. would need to be legal determination again, right? You would need lawyers looking at that and, and arguing it, right? You, you now you're talking a essentially a lawsuit, a, a legal case here, um, right? Did it meet the and they brought up defamation? And they brought up the at the very least, if it's not disqualifying, there should be heavily fined. Um, for misinformation or for defamation of uh, for each they they this person was a little strict they said it should be a million dollars for each defamation image of the opponent for each defamation image for each yeah. defamation and then a hundred thousand dollars per flattering misinformation okay so they were very strict with it so but the the majority of the comments here were all in in an agreement that it should be labeled there was one comment that took an opposite approach mm -hmm. and and they said why label why not label all art 
because anything a person can create can be used for misinformation. And they they posted several images uh, in uh, as examples. And so for one of the, they used a picture, I think it was a picture of Stalin, and there was someone standing next to them. Um, and I guess it was photoshopped in the person that was standing there, and they weren't originally in the original picture um, or, or taken out or something like that. And so they're like, why not force label something like this? Because people can do manipulation even without AI. They can do it with Photoshop. They can right. do it with airbrushing. Why not make all art, everything, anything that you use be uh, labeled? But labeled how? Because it's... Well, I guess that's... I mean, it's, if it's art, it's obviously art. If it's an image, it's an image. So, so are they saying label the source of every image or just label it as what? Use it, put the programs that you use to create the image. I mean, you know, what is their proposal? Uh, label that. Well, label that it. It's been manipulated. It's been manipulated. I would assume that's that everything. If it's been manipulated, that should be labeled as such. And we're talking in political advertising, but yeah. you know. But then also the question is how manipulated. I mean, are you talking about shading, right. touching something up, or are you talking about just creating something that wasn't even there in the first place? Right, right. And then again, I mean, it's you not all images. That's done all the time, right? You have a photo of someone, you put them on a different background. That's manipulating the image. But right. it's, that's done routinely, right? Does that need to be labeled? Right. And, and you know, it's not all images. As we pointed yeah. out last time, it could be text copy that the, the AI helped you write, like, um, what's it, the city councilwoman-elect uh, out of, uh, I believe she's out of Brooklyn, used it just came out i guess yesterday they, susan i uh, don't know how to pronounce her last name z-h-u-a-n-g um she's uh, out of brooklyn and she was using ai to respond to uh, questions on uh questionnaires to fill out a questionnaire about her personal interests and policies right. and the question that she used, well, she used AI to fill it out, but it became suspicious because of one of the answers. And the question was, what makes someone a New Yorker? Mm. And the answer was New York City, the concrete jungle where dreams come true. It's not just a place. It's a state of mind. Being a New Yorker means having an unstoppable hustle, unbreakable resilience, and unrivaled independence. It's about navigating the fast-paced streets with confidence and embracing the vibrant diversity that makes this city so special. Join a community of like-minded individuals who are proud to call themselves New Yorkers. Connect with people from all walks of life, sharing diverse cultures and backgrounds, contribute to the city's dynamic tapestry, and experience the energy and excitement as you become part of something bigger than yourself. <laughs> okay. And so that flagged it people like, wait a minute. a second, but the way it ended, it does seem kind of incongruent with the question. It was, it, but even the way it was answered, it's, if yeah. people looked at it like, wait a minute, this this sounds kind of funny. And yeah. so they reached out and she did admit that she used AI to it. Um, and she was giving saying that it was uh, helpful because English is not her first language. Mm -hmm. And so there is a use case. But, you know, it, should it have been labeled or at least checked or something like that? Right. I want to shout out everyone who's joining us in the chat. Uh, I see James left a comment on the Chick-fil-A, which we will get to in a few minutes here. Jeremy, okay. uh, Paul, Deborah, Richie, everyone else. Thank you, guys. What's up? So, yeah, so it seems like most people 
then according to the poll are saying that it should be labeled something even going further and saying that all septic practices should be banned. And then I, right. I agree, you know, we should do all we can to mitigate or potentially eliminate, even though it's going to be possible to truly eliminate it, but move right. towards eliminating all deceptive practices in, in politics. But, you know, it's unfortunately, it's going to be very, very difficult to even make steps, I think, in that direction. I guess labeling AI-generated right. content could be uh, a good step, but you still have to be careful with how that's implemented, right? What are the parameters right. of that? And why are we making that distinction of, of AI as opposed to, as we mentioned, Photoshop or any other tool that's out there? Right. Uh, I think I think because of how easy, how easily it could be done. With Photoshop, it takes there is a little bit of a barrier because you have to be able to manipulate it and do well with Photoshop. With AI, you can just type in it. You can just type in a quick description and you know it's more accessible. So it's you know, but but should we be stopping at AI though? Um, that's yeah, it's a good question. I don't, you know, I I don't think I don't think they should be using deceptive practices in political campaigns or marketing. Period. Right. I mean, in marketing there is there is um, right. So there's things in place to say that you can't, and then people can be held accountable for misleading or false advertising. Um, so shouldn't that be the same in uh, political campaigns as well but then yeah. again it comes to who judges uh, right, if the campaign right. who judges and the thing is this when you have a partisan election right the, the nature very nature of politics is you're pitting people with diametrically opposed often views right. against each other and so mm. what's true to one person is going to be de deceptive to the other person and vice versa Right. So right. it really depends on who's looking at it. It's hard to get an objective sense, you know, unless you really clearly define the parameters of what's allowed and what's not. So just use a word like deceptive. I mean, you know, I right. say, I've got I've got a tax plan that's gonna save the people this amount of money. And then the other person said, that's deceptive as hell. You know what I mean? Like that's just how people right. approach these things. Yeah. He said it was gonna save me a thousand dollars. It only saved me four hundred. He lied. It's deceptive, like in suit. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's a good point. You can nitpick anything, also, right? I mean, right. Even if it's if it's mostly true, and and and, and you know, from your perspective, it is all true. They might, like like you said, maybe the you know the growth isn't as fast as they thought it should be, and they thought what you said somehow misrepresented how fast the recovery was going to be, or you know, or whatever. It seems like because it's that adversarial environment, featuring pitting people against each other who disagree on fundamentally everything you know it's it's gonna be hard to find any kind of consensus about what's deceptive and what's not right it's like we, right. we don't deal with the same set of facts anymore yeah so interesting uh poll interesting responses again most people seem to agree that it should so maybe it's definitely so maybe it's something that should be looked into more and and it seems um many people agree not just uh the people on on the site but um governments as well because states have moved to so at least five states have already moved to make these things required um like labeling it to be required and then of course what was it recently within the last day or two meta and google also put a requirement in that ai content and political ads that they run have to be labeled as such if i'm not mistaken so people are already moving in that direction to, to add that label 
layer yeah, of transparency. Efforts across the board to try to get ahead of the AI issue, right? Yeah. Regulate the technology in some fashion before it gets out. Right. And so right. I think that's commendable. But like with everything, we just have to be careful with how we do it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, speaking of polls, because there was already a comment, at least one that I saw in the chat about this. What's up? Right. Jack, this, Danny, for joining us. Chick fil A, right? Uh, James in the chat, let's get his comment out there. He says, I'm all for banning Chick-fil-A, KFC, and Popeyes are way better, and they're not homophobic to my knowledge. Bring back Roy Rogers, too. Bring back Roy Rogers. All right. So for those who don't know, there is a bill that was recently introduced in the New York legislature, and it doesn't mention Chick-fil-A by name, although it's pretty transparent what it, you know is going on here. They are trying to require establishments that are operating uh, rest stops on the New York State Thruway to be open seven days a week. Now, Chick-fil-A, as many know, is always closed on Sunday. I think even Kanye had a song called Close on Sunday, if I forget, but he had, some, he, had, he had a song and a hook referencing that fact, right? That Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. And okay. No, you didn't know that song. You should go look at it. I haven't listened to. I haven't listened it's to. Not a very good song. It's interesting for this discussion, but <laughs> uh, and, and and in fact, the only reason why I really know about that is because I know that was one of the songs he recorded on his phone, which I thought was ridiculous having such great quality to recording on his phone. But uh, so Chick Fil A is closed on Sunday because of religious observances, right? They're a very Christian organization, and of course. They franchise, right? So each one is individually right. owned, but uh, from all accounts, they do a lot of vetting before someone can open up their own Chick-fil-A. And mm. they say things that sound, quite frankly, suspicious, right? They say, well, before we allow you to open up your own franchise, we want to put you through a very vigorous interview process to make sure that your values match ours, right? And right. given Chick-fil-A's history of being anti LGBTQ, that obviously raises red flags. It seems like they want people who uh, share those positions. And mm. New York has taken efforts to keep Chick-fil-A out. Obviously, it's a business. There are Chick-fil-A locations throughout New York, but I know when they were trying to open up uh, by NYU, there was a big pushback. And I think those efforts were successful, if I'm not mistaken. And so now we've got this effort to get them out of the rest stops along the throughway in New York. And mm. to be fair, part of the rationale extends beyond Chick-fil-A's stances, right? Part of it is that they're saying that Sunday is the busiest travel day, and it doesn't make sense to have restaurants operating at rest stops, which are going to be closed on the busiest travel day. I, I agree with that. I mean, if I'm traveling and I'm on the road and I go to a rest stop, you go there expecting to get food, to get, you know, bathroom, food, to, to rest, to refuel, that type of thing. And if you get in there and the places are closed, it's like, why are you even here? What's your point? <laughs> so I get that part. I, I definitely get that part. Okay. Well, what about the other part that their values don't align with the state of New York's values? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to comment on that, really. Um, because I mean, I, 
I'll be honest, I'm not that familiar with Chick-fil-A and their stance. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't really know how to comment on that. Part of it, from what I understand, is that they have a history of, of not just vocally opposing issues like gay marriage and things like that, but also giving money to some of these anti-gay groups. That's mm. why I know a lot of people boycott the establishment because they don't want their money going towards those groups. Mm. Well, are those the rest stops are run by the state, right? Well, there's a contract with the state. The state, right? So, I mean, in, in that sense, it's something that's supposed to be available for all. So, I, I don't think we should have. It probably wouldn't be a good idea to have these places in there that uh, are going to be in these opposition stances, like Chick Fil A, perhaps. Um, again, I, I don't know that much about their stance and, and what they've done. Um, you know, what kind of uh, choices the people See, would just, have. I just want to mention something, and this relates just to the previous discussion, right? About you said that they should be available to all, right? Right. Now, from your perspective, I, I, I honestly, when you said that, I didn't know which direction you were going when you said available to all, because some people might think that all includes chick-fil-a and people who have those same values right because now if you're if you're keeping them out there are some people who can say well what about us <laughs> hardcore christians or whatever however they describe themselves they're going to claim that they're being discriminated against somehow right i, I was mentioning customers um yeah, being yeah, available but i guess as an example as how how you we can look at the same thing and can it be interpreted in two different yeah. ways right and that's why it's hard to to put a ban on something that you would call deceptive for example right Right. right. Take have their own interpretation to this. So. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, no, so I, I I see where you're going. So the customers. But then but the, the question is, to play devil's advocate, would there be, I don't know, Christian customers who would think that they're being discriminated against by not having the option of having a an establishment that they think is consistent with their values. I think that's a stretch. Um, because if those values are exclusive types of values, I think that, that they don't, think. but in practice, yeah. And, and to be, I don't know. I mean, I don't think Chick-fil-A I mean, has a sign that says, yeah, if you're LGBTQ, you can't order here. I don't know if no. they have that, but it's like anyone's money. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know how far they go and what their stance is to be able to to effectively answer that, uh, but I do agree that one places should probably should be open seven days a week because that's what the rest stops are there for. Um, two, if they are involved in some of these discriminatory uh, pushing some of these discriminatory agendas, then you know people people shouldn't eat there. They should. You know, if that's not what they're in line with, they should avoid those places. Um, the state probably shouldn't be eager to get into bed with them uh, as well, um, because it can uh, put off other people, uh, some of the some of the rest of the citizens and residents. Um, it doesn't sound like they it should be a good place for them to be. Right. So we were going to make that our poll question for the week. For the record, I never even had chick-fil-a some people say that sandwiches are great i don't even know what it tastes like um, i've had popeye's chicken sandwich which i thought was okay 
Yeah, I haven't been, I haven't had any of them. So <laughs> I think the only thing I've had from Chick-fil-A was years ago and it was the waffle fries because um, people said their waffle fries were great. And I thought they were, yeah, they were all right. Yeah. I'm on here in the chat. They can go to Popeyes or KFC. So Popeyes and KFC, I guess, is, is pretty popular. Right, uh, right. Shout out to that. I see Jeremy in the chat room, John Dips. Some more guys logging in, Steven, JC. Yeah. So, all right. Let's put up the poll question. Hopefully the website will work this time where we can get a numerical result. So right. the question of the week is, do you agree with efforts in the New York State Legislature to push Chick-fil-A out of the state's rest stops due to their anti-LGBT stances? The good question, the good question. All right. Yeah. Let's see how the people respond to that. Speaking of good questions, I suppose we have breaking news uh -oh. of today, not long ago today, the Colorado Supreme Court has ruled, let's pull up this article here, they've ruled that Donald Trump cannot appear on the state's ballot in the presidential race in 2024, finding that he is an insurrectionist. Of course, the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution bans insurrectionists from holding public office. There was that weird decision that we had discussed a couple weeks ago about how right. the court had found him to be an insurrectionist, but not an officer of the U.S., where I guess right. the president wasn't considered an officer of the U.S., and so he would be banned from other offices, but not for president. It seemed kind of like a cop-out or a weird conclusion. But the, the Colorado Supreme Court has just, in a 4-3 opinion, said that he is an insurrectionist, and I suppose consistent with uh, this result, they're saying that the, the, offices, the office of the presidency is an office of the U.S. And so they're saying that that bars him from appearing on the ballot. Now, of course, we can expect his team to appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court where the result may be different. Uh, listen, I agree with the, the, the Colorado result. Um, he shouldn't be on the ballot. He is an insurrectionist. He was acting as uh, head of state at the time, um, even if he wasn't. I mean, he's clearly trying to upend uh, our government and our democracy. He keeps saying over and over again that when he gets in, he's going to act like a dictator for a while. Um, so, I mean, he's being very clear about his insurrectionist stance. Uh, so... I agree with Colorado. I think more states should do it. But also, you know, the Supreme Court has got the conservative uh, bias and a lot of people, several that he put in. So right, I think he, that, that's something you also have to keep in mind, right? That he appointed. Some. Right. Right. And I think he did. I, I, listen, it, it was a long term play. Right? The GOP and, and Trump, they were playing long term uh, with installing all the different judges in different places and this and that to to deal with any types of issues you know um to, to perpetuate the conservative mindset and the way that they think about things but also for situations like this to where they can get things overturned when they want it so yeah i don't think uh he'll be held i, I think he'll be allowed to get on the, the ballot if it gets to the supreme court and they'll, they'll overrule that yeah i think that would be the smart bet although it is interesting that in some cases even the justices that he appointed went against his interest, right? And surprised people. I think but might have been on student loans and a few other things, they went against him. But on this one, I have a hard time seeing it. And unfortunately, that is cynicism, right? I'm 
coming to that conclusion strictly based on the politics of the situation. It's not about the constitutional analysis, which it should be, right? You should expect the Supreme Court to rule strictly on the Constitution and the law. But this is so political. We always wonder if it's a political question to the extent that the Supreme Court should not rule on it at all. And imagine that. Imagine they just defer to the individual states. That would be something. But like I said, I think the smart money is on them saying that he can run. And then I guess the question is, what decision would they use? Would they say he's not an insurrectionist at all? Or will they punt like the other court did and say, well, maybe he is an insurrectionist, but we don't consider the office of the presidency to be an officer of the U.S. And so it doesn't even matter. Right. They could do that. Yeah, I yeah i mean like i said i I, i'm pretty sure it's going to be a case where it gets the supreme court it's going to be split uh, along liberal conservative lines right and he's going to win then he's going to go on tv and talk about you know how you know how amazing he is and how he can't be held down and how they tried to stop me and yeah do you think though this has any effect at all on the campaign on his campaign well let's say let's assume that what you said actually happens right yeah it all happens so he gets back on the ballot but will it move the voters in any way um it it would just it would keep his voters in line i mean he's gonna it it feeds into the yeah it feeds into the narrative that you know that he is that guy right that nothing can stop yeah, him that's He's it, that's his, his voters aren't going to move regardless i'm talking about right. the state of the race which is really decided more by the swing voters who can go either way um i don't made up or or affected at all by that i don't think that a change but some people who are on the fence and and don't hold like a a negative opinion of trump uh well, I think most people the more are- things are the more things that are stacked against him that he overcomes, it could sway a few people to be like, yeah, they keep trying to stop this guy. Why? You know, and it might trigger yeah. some conspiracy stuff to themselves or right. whatever it is. And it's they just, might just try, trying to parse the data that's out there now about all of the legal trouble, right? All these law cases. Right. Because I think 90, 90 some charges against him right now. Yeah, it seems like most voters are not really paying attention to that yet. Now, we talked about maybe once March comes and, and the criminal trial is on TV every every day, maybe people will start looking at it more. But as of now, it seems like the legal issues, the indictments and everything else, even you know the civil suits and possibly this, it's not really on people's radars one way or the other. What's interesting, though, as well, is that the data does show that at least as of now if he were to be convicted on any of the charges he would lose in a landslide so it seems like people are almost holding out to see if these charges stick i mean just the fact that these people are, are waiting for that shows that things are kind of screwed up like dude he's already got, he's already got 98 or i think it's 90 some charges that against him you know um what was it we talked about a few weeks ago where adams had uh the fbi or cia investigating potential collusion uh in in one or two counts and they're like he should step down like you know trump's got like 90 counts right. and he's going for the president of the united states 
and people are like, yeah, well, we'll see what happens. Like it, it just shows that things are kind of, uh, kind of nothing. People, things are messed up. People's priorities yeah. aren't in the right place. People are thinking uh, too, too much in their group think on their side. And they're not really looking at a bigger picture. They're not looking at the implications. Like the fact that we've got someone running in the first place for that party for president and and people even thinking like oh yeah it's okay if he gets convicted and wins like just the 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 thought behind that is just ridiculous yeah and also the idea that like you mentioned so if the mayor not even indicted right but that what was it they they see the fbi sees his phone right people said that wasn't enough for him to step down but why, why is that how come people say that about him right president and it's not just adams i mean that would happen yeah, yeah. A, a lot no, but, but you're any, right though. if any any politician yeah yeah it doesn't even have to be an indictment right if you hear that an elected official is under investigation there are so many calls to step down immediately immediately yeah. and then but here it's i mean of course there are definitely people calling for trump to come out of the race but the, you know to it should be he should be barred from the race or, or some kind of measure, but his supporters are just like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. He could be a felon. He could be a president from prison. It doesn't matter. Like, are you listening to yourself? <laughs> right. Right. So, and, yeah, that's also just, I think a testament to how cynical people have become, you know, they've been in, in any of our institutions. Right. And, and listen, to be fair, there's not a lot of examples uh that should give them that faith i mean we have politicians some that are doing doing good jobs and and you know biden's got a lot of good accomplishments but the fact that our discourse in the political sphere is this crazy it doesn't help to give people uh you know a positive outlook on the whole environment so you know it's easy to see how people can be disillusioned regardless of what's happening Right. But it still seems selective, right? I mean, maybe people are just yeah. going their own agenda and trying to contort what's happening to serve their narrative. Right. But why do we have faith in institutions again when uh, there's an investigation into the mayor? Why isn't everyone saying, well, right. it's all political, like, you know, it's a witch hunt or whatever? Why is it that sometimes we take it seriously and sometimes we don't? But it, it, it right. just depend on where you stood in the first place, right? And and that's also yeah. a sad state of affairs that people don't even really pay attention to what's happening, you know, or at least it doesn't allow, you know, it doesn't inform their opinions, right? They start off with the conclusion that they want to reach, and then they'll just right. use whatever is out there to try to bolster the opinion that they already had, you know. Right. And that's that's one of the biggest issues in all of this discourse is that people are just looking to to prove their stance already and so if you're looking for if you have a stance chances are there's going to be some information out there somewhere you could find that's going to support the stance you have no matter how incorrect it is but then you're able to find that information and you stack that information on top of each other now you've got a wealth of information so you feel even more in the right because look, I've got all this data. And so this is issues that we're having. Yeah. yeah. Again, why it would be nice to be able to curb deceptive information, but 
one man's truth is the next man's lie. So. And, and and that's what you know we we saw we saw efforts to do that after Trump's first uh, election, when the places like uh, Facebook and and Instagram and these different social media platforms, Twitter took steps to do uh, fact checking on posts that went through because there was so much misinformation that went out. And even that was fought against, right? A lot of conservatives were like, oh, well, these these fact checks are are, are not true. Like, no, if they're, they're fact checks, that's what the term is. No, I don't agree with it. Doesn't matter if you agree, it's a fact. That's not opinion, there's difference here. And so then you had, that's where places like, like Parler and um, I don't know, the other conservative Twitter clone that popped up that's failing through social um a lot of these places started popping up because they're like oh we need a space for for our truth no you need a space for your propaganda because you can't handle that you're lying and people are calling you out but you know yeah it's that type of situation where we're in right now all right well with the few minutes we have left i wanted to turn back to new york and look at this bill that was actually signed by the governor because the governor only has a few more days left in the year to sign certain bills right that were passed this year and right too into the weeds on the pocket veto process right because normally if the governor doesn't sign or veto a bill it becomes law automatically but there's an exception for bills that were not sent to the governor's desk while the legislature was in session those bills Mm -hmm. Uh, if the governor doesn't act on them, do not become law. They call that a pocket veto because the governor is not actually vetoing the bill, right? She's just letting them die, basically, by not signing them. But uh-huh. we've got a list of bills uh, sitting on the governor's desk. I don't know if we're going to get the chance to go over them. But one of the bills that I wanted to mention, which was signed by the governor, is this reparations commission. And it was actually sponsored by... Senator Sanders and uh, Assemblywoman Salaj in the Assembly. And mm-hmm. It's law now. So the governor signed it. It establishes a commission and actually makes it an appropriation of $250,000 to get this commission going to mm-hmm. see how reparations might look in the state of New York. So I pulled up the text of the bill. I don't know if you have it there. Yeah, I'm looking at it here. Looking at the text, so they're going. They've got paragraphs. Looks like at least three. Let's see. Yeah, this is Senate Bill S one one six three A. Yeah. Okay. So here you go. Looks like at least okay three pages just of the history of slavery, and they talk about how slavery was not just a Southern institution. It actually right. it has flourished in New York State. Um, yeah. If you scroll down to section three, it starts talking about what this commission exactly is enlisted to do. The duties of the commission examine the institution of slavery, which existed in the state of New York and in the city of New York. Mm. And it talks about, of course, what that all entailed. Then it goes down to number two examine the extent to which the federal and state governments of the U.S. supported the institution of slavery including the extent to which such governments prevented, opposed, or restricted efforts of freed enslaved Africans to repatriate to their homeland. Mm. 
examine federal and state laws that discriminate against freed African slaves. Okay, so there's a lot of, I'm just scrolling through this here, a lot of examining the history, which is good. I want to see what their recommendations for the future are going to be. Okay, examine other forms of discrimination in the public and private sectors. Examine the lingering negative effects of slavery. Okay, here we go. Now towards the future. Section six, recommend appropriate ways to educate the American public of the commission's findings. Recommend appropriate remedies in consideration of the commission's findings of the matters above. Uh, the commission shall determine the form of compensation, the amount of compensation, and who should be eligible for compensation. Report to the legislature. Mm-hmm. The commission shall submit a written report of its findings and recommendations. Does it say when? Oh, no later than the date, which is one year after the date of the first meeting of the commission. Okay. Now we can get into membership. So just to see who's on this commission. How is this commission made up, right? We've got 15 members here appointed within 90 days of the effective date of this act. So soon, three members appointed by the governor, three members appointed by the speaker of the assembly, three members appointed by the temporary president of the Senate, six members selected from the major civil society and reparations organizations that have historically championed the cause of reparatory justice. So... There you go. You're going to have this commission formed by these people. They're going to have their first meeting within 120 days of the, of the effective act. And within a year right. of their first meeting, they're supposed to report back with their findings and recommendations. I think the important part of that is part of their findings are supposed to be who is eligible for compensation and how much. That's going to be a that that's the difficult one of the difficult parts in any of these uh in any plan or idea of how to dole out reparations payments, um, because, you know, there's just simply so many people. Um, and I know some people are going to say, well, it's also because it's so far away, but it's really not, you know, we're still, and I've I've told this, I don't know if I mentioned it on here before. Um, uh, we, we think about road, not, uh, geez, who are we talking about? Uh, the underground railroad, yeah. right and yeah we, we talk about the underground railroad and harriet tubman and it just seems so long ago right i knew my great grandmother um probably up until high school my great grandmother was born in 1903 mm. harriet tubman died in 1913 right so That's literally someone I knew was alive when Harriet Tubman was alive. Right. Right. It's not that long ago. Right. And also, I think that's why it's important that this law now doesn't want the commission only to study the effects of slavery, but basically the after effects of it that persisted for generations and in some ways still persist. Right. They're talking about not just slavery, but discrimination, you know, and institutional discrimination right how was that even codified in our laws in our society and i think that's important for providing the proper context to this discussion because like you said people will think that was so long ago that was the 1800s but what did it create right what are the efforts of that and how are we still trying to recover from that today right absolutely you know so uh it's it's definitely a challenge i think it's one that should be taken up um 
but it's definitely a challenge and how it's going to be rectified and how, you know, like I said, how, who gets it, what's a payment, um, what's allowed under it, you know, so right. good luck to that. Because, you know, California, I think, uh, took this on as a study. Right. We see movements throughout the country on this and there's a large discussion about, okay, how would sure. it and who would qualify, right? Would it only be the direct descendants of African slaves? Would you have to prove that? Would that require some kind of DNA right. test or, or family tree? You know, how would you exactly prove that? Um, you know, right. a recent immigrant to the country would you not qualify? Uh, should you still qualify, right? I mean, that discrimination might not have applied directly, or at least slavery might not have applied directly to your descendants, but you're still in that system and you still bear the brunt of that institutional discrimination. So right. these are complicated questions, right? Some people, right. like you said, they think it's too long ago and they don't think it's fair to give out cash payments. Someone even said to me once, you know, that's going to discourage people from working. I said, well, okay, but what about helping someone start a business? That's doing the opposite of that. That's giving them access to a part of the economy that maybe they were shut out from historically. So let <laughs> me say that kind of discourage people from working. Well, what are they paying back for? For free labor from people perfect, who right, didn't work without having been paid for it. Right. And and for people who didn't work that made the bulk of their wealth yeah. who have companies that still persist to this day. Like what are you talking about? Right. Not to mention that that was a promise that was not fulfilled. Right. Right. So. For acres and a mule. Right. That was one of the proposals. I think it was a field uh, field general. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just listen, there, there there are some wrongs that need to be righted that the that the, the country is responsible for. And in a lot of cases, they have made efforts to to write them in other cases, like um, what happened with the Japanese internment. And they they made attempts to make right those things, um, even with Native Americans, even though things aren't the best situation for them, they have made concessions for some of the things that they've done to them. Um, you know, listen, the, the country owes a debt to a lot of people and and should and should seriously uptake making those right. And. And not just payment. It has to be. It has to be fundamental change so that it doesn't just keep repeating. Jeremy in the chat says effects of Jim Crow laws. Yeah, effects of Jim Crow laws, and they're coming back. We're seeing them come back, basically. Right. And that's hopefully the commission gets to study that as well, right? Not just what happened in the past, what's still happening, and, and not just right. what happened in the past that is still happening, but what actual efforts and, and laws even around the country and, and you know, anywhere that uh, really still perpetrate this. Right. I mean, we've seen a lot change. I mean, what, the rollbacks of affirmative action, yeah. um, the, the Voting Rights Act, Act repeals, yeah. um, you know, these types of things that are actually situations and standards that were around during Jim Crow laws that allowed them to act a certain way that is now allowable again. So, yeah, all of that should be taken into consideration. James in the chat. All right, so he has a comment here like, about Chick-fil-A again. He said, my grandma went to Chick-fil-A in New Jersey and she said it was expensive, dry, and gross. This was before we found out they were homophobic. All right. Yeah. I don't think grandma's going to be visiting Chick-fil-A at a rest stop. <laughs> 
You never know. Long trip, the family. So, all right. Well, as always, we have had an interesting discussion, and we will see what the people have to say, in particular, with respect to the poll question that we're putting out. But, you know, anything else we discussed, we're certainly hoping to hear people's thoughts and opinions. So, why don't we shoot the bottom line over to you this week, Jay? The bottom line. Uh, I think I'll go off the last point here. The bottom line is that uh, we we should definitely look at the past to inform the future. And we say this a lot, that we learn history so that we don't repeat it. Um, but we're not exactly following that. We're not living up to that. We're not benefiting from that because we do study history, but people are looking at history sometimes with uh, a selfish sort of lens or a self-focused lens that's going to distort the message that we get from history. And we have to look at history as history, as it has happened, and take the lessons from it that it's giving us, not our judgment on that so that we can move towards the future. And we've said it here a number of times, you know, just like, you know, our, our sacred documents working towards a, a more perfect union. And we want to take those lessons to be able to do that and move forward and have a better future. That's something that's equitable for all citizens of the United States. All right. Well said, that is the bottom line. As always, you can find us pretty much anywhere, right? YouTube at Nuance Show. We're on Instagram, so you can get in on the discussions there. Of course, podcasts, wherever podcasts are available, subscribe and get the shows in audio form pushed directly to your devices when they come out. And, of course, live on Facebook every Tuesday. We've been doing that for a while, so thank you all for joining us in the chat every week. And wherever you are finding us, we are close to – have we hit 100,000 yet? I think we're close to 100,000 on YouTube. 100,000 views, yeah, close to. Okay. So we will let everyone know once we reach that milestone. I do want to do something in honor of the people who have been joining us this whole time. So we'll talk about that. As always, we've got work to do, and we'll catch you next week. Have a good night, everyone.